So today, the message today, undeniable power. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will anoint every word that is spoken in this message. Anoint every person who is here to receive with spiritual hearing and understanding your word today. In the mighty power of God, by Jesus' name, we ask you to reveal yourself to us today in new, fresh ways that our lives may be developed, that we may grow in you. Let this be the time when your power, Lord, works in mighty, supernatural ways in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me give you the setting for what I want to talk about this morning. Peter and John, as did the other apostles, I'm sure, had a customary time for prayer. And on one particular morning, they were walking into the temple, making their entrance through that one of the 12 gates, the one that was called the beautiful gate. Customarily, a man sat there at that gate every day, begging for gifts, alms, support, to help him because he was lame. And he had been lame from birth. He had no opportunity to make a living any other way. And he depended upon other people coming by to put money in his container to provide support for him. This particular day, although they had certainly passed by him on many other occasions and nothing outstanding had happened, on this particular day, As they were passing by the lame man, he held out his hand again for them to give something as he did to everyone who passed by. And something happened in the heart and in the spirit of Peter and John. They stopped and looked at the man. And Peter said to the man, look at us. And the man put his attention to them. And Peter said, we don't have silver and gold to give to you. But we have something else that's far better. He reached out and took the man by the hand. The hand that was reached out to him to give them something. Now he was going to give the man something that he never expected and never thought he would ever receive. Peter reaches out and takes him by the hand and pulls him and lifts him up and said, Stand up, rise. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man jumped up. Now, it's unusual enough that he had never walked and he stands up on his feet. But when you've never walked, you would expect that someone would have to gain strength in their legs, have to become accustomed to walking. He had never walked, so he didn't know how to walk. Every step that he took, he learned by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says he didn't just stand up and walk around. He started to run. He jumped. He leaped. And then he realized what had happened, and he started praising God. And it was with amazement. People all over everywhere began to come together because they knew this man. He had sat there in the same place for years and years and years, begging for help from people, and nothing had ever changed about him. And now they see the man they knew, and they knew it was the man. They saw this man up running, leaping, and praising God. And they were amazed at what had happened. 
As always happens when the power of God strikes, there are people who like it and people who don't. You say, well, pastor, you mean there are people who really don't want the Spirit of God to move? Absolutely. Don't want the power of God. Don't want the miracles of God. It's too much of a disturbance and too much of an upset in their lives. They don't want things changed. But, you know, God's a God of change. He's a God of miracles. And God does things differently whether you want him to do it that way or not. That's just the way he does. Sometimes it annoys you, doesn't it, the way things God does things? I'll be honest about it. I know you want to be so spiritual. You want everybody to think, oh, no, no, I know everything. No, sometimes you just get annoyed that God does things the way he does. The reason I know that, every now and then I get that way too. <laughs> I'd like for God to do things my way. Rarely does he do it. I am not, however, ever bothered or ever annoyed about anything that God does supernaturally. When God moves and the Holy Spirit moves and people are rejoicing and God's answering prayer and people are being touched, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, I always rejoice in that. That's what we want to see in the church of Jesus Christ, the power of God manifested, demonstrated, and displayed as a record of what God can do in the world today. And that's what he did with this man who had sat by the gate all of the temple all that long time and had been crippled all those years. Now, there were a group of people who were in charge of the religious activities. They were called the Council of Jerusalem, sometimes called the Sanhedrin. There was a little difference. People who were members of the council were not always members of the Sanhedrin, but the Sanhedrin members were usually always members of the council. So they had just different steps. This describes them as the council, primarily the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling, governing body of the Jewish religion, in Jerusalem particularly. And so they speak out, and they, they find out, and it's not hard to find out because everything's happening in Jerusalem right now, all centering on the temple and this great activity that's taking place. So much was going on. And so much preaching was going on, so much declarations of the power of God was happening that there were 5,000 men who were saved as a result of seeing that miracle that God did. They turned their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and said they wanted to serve a God, a Savior, a Messiah who could do what this one had done. And as, as Paul and Peter and other apostles, I'm sure, joined in and preached to them. They came to know the Lord Jesus and gave themselves to Christ as, as, as their Savior. That's what the record of the Scripture says. But the council of Jerusalem took a different approach. So the religious leaders said, wait a minute now, this is a little bit too disturbing for us. We'd like for things to settle down and be a little different from what they are. But we know that something great has happened, something mighty, something miraculous has happened. They knew the lame man too. And they saw the great things that were happening in Jerusalem, how the crowds had been moved and stirred by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. So they called their two men who were responsible for the most of it. They called Peter and John up before the council. And they inquired of them what was going on that was causing so much consternation by their terms in the city of Jerusalem. What's happened, they said. 
They knew the man had been healed. And then they said to them, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, if you don't want to have something really happen and something really break forth, that's something you should never ask a Pentecostal preacher. But they said, how did this happen? By what power or by what name did you do this? Now, it says in the scripture that the council looked at them and understood them to be uneducated men, just common men. In other words, they were not scholars. They were not rabbis. They were not leaders of the religion. They couldn't have said that of Saul of Tarsus who became Paul. Because he was. But these men were just fishermen. They were just ordinary men, laborers in their toil and duties in life. And they had nothing to recommend them as scholars or teachers or rabbis or as preachers. And yet great, powerful, miraculous things had happened. So the council looked at them as just being uneducated common men. They didn't understand that the anointing of God doesn't depend on education and doesn't depend on high levels of society and doesn't depend on what anything that man can do. The anointing of God is decided by God himself and God visits his power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God upon those whom he chooses to place it. God didn't require me to go anywhere to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit except to the closet of prayer. I'm glad I went to college. I'm glad I went to a university. I'm glad I have some degrees. I don't talk about it very much. But sometimes I'm glad about it because when I get in the presence of certain people, it makes me feel better about myself. Some people, it doesn't matter. I get around some people, and I hear them, and I'm glad well, I can say, well, I have that too, up to a certain point at least. <laughs> But I learned this. I learned this a long time ago. I learned this a long time ago. Receiving a degree from a university never gave me a bit of anointing. Getting a master's degree from a, from a great university never gave me one ounce of anointing. It's helped me with some understanding some things, but I wouldn't even say it's helped me understand the, the Scriptures. I've learned to understand the Scriptures by the work of the Holy Spirit in my mind, in my heart, and in my own spirit. And I've learned that the anointing of the Holy Spirit doesn't come from education. It doesn't come from society, social levels. It doesn't come from acceptance from other people. The anointing of the Holy Spirit comes directly from the hand of God. And that comes when you seek God. So they said... They looked at them and they took, and, I, and this is amazing to me, this little, little phrase that's in this account, because these are the people who wanted to deny that Jesus was alive. They said he died, he's dead, he's gone. They, want, they wanted that to be it. And yet, the scripture says about when they looked at Peter and John, they took knowledge of them. They came to understand that they had been with Jesus You'll find that in the account. They understood there was something different about them. And what was it that made them different? They saw that there was some power in their lives that came because they'd been with Jesus. So the question was, ask of them, by what power or by what name did you do this? And when they asked that, Peter was ready. The Holy Spirit made him ready. He began to answer. If we be called in question this day for the good deed that we have done to the crippled man. 
Let it be known to you and to all people of Jerusalem that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. And when he said that, they could not refute one iota of anything that he said. Because as he made that declaration, the man who had been healed was standing right over there beside them. And that's what the scripture goes on to say. That the man who was healed was standing beside them and they could say nothing in opposition to what Peter was preaching. Do you know that all of the learning, and, all, and I'm not against education. I just tried to say a while ago, I'm, I, I don't mean to be sounding that way because I have a little bit. That's not the important thing, though, as far as the work of God. The work of God is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when they looked and said, these men, are, are, are there's something different about them. That they've been with Jesus. All the things that they didn't know and didn't understand, what they did know was when they said this man was healed by the power of Jesus Christ, by the victorious, glorious, supernatural miracle of Jesus Christ, they could not deny it. Why could they not deny it? Because they saw the man standing there healed and well who had never walked standing up on his feet. And every time they'd look around and say, well, well, you know, we can say that's not true. This man, <clears throat> well, you know, we could spread the word that this is all a hallucination. And when they did, I'm sure that man standing up said, Do you know what you can't deny? You can't deny what's true right in front of you. God's miracles are seen and known. And when that's seen and known, nobody can say this is not true. You've had miracles in your own life. You've had answers to prayer. You've had the victory of God. And you know that to be so. I remember there was a time when I was offered a scholarship to go to, a, 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 when I was finishing high school, yes, I've got a good enough remember to go back that far. <laughs> when I was finishing high school, a church organization asked my high school principal to speak to me and tell me that they wanted to pay for my education to go through all four years of, of college. I'd, all I needed to do was to go to their college. And it was a good college. There's nothing wrong with it. Well-accredited, high standards. And, and they would pay for everything for me to go. And I said to him, after I thought about it for a little while, came back to him and I said, now, do they think and want me to preach in their church? Because he told me it was a church group. Would they want me to preach in their church after I graduate from college? He said, well, they didn't say that. But he said, I think that's understood and expected. Uh, they're looking for preachers in their, in their organization. And and they wouldn't uh, be planning this, offering this if they didn't expect something in return for it. So he said, I would say yes. And I said, well, you know, I, my church is Pentecostal, and, and they are not. Well, my high school principal didn't, he wasn't persuaded by that argument. He thought to have somebody offer you a full, full college education and pay for every, it was a wonderful thing. And it was a wonderful thing. But I could not, be, I knew that I could not plan my life 
to preach in a church that did not believe in Pentecost, did not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, did not believe in the fullness of the Spirit. They're good people. It's a good church today. I have nothing but good things to say about that organization. And even better then because they, I was acquainted with a lot of people in that church. and They were they're fine, wonderful people. But I knew that if God had called me to preach, God had called me to preach the full gospel and in, and, and in my... And in my um, what would I want to call it? In my, maybe perhaps in a certain level of naivete, I didn't think about all that it was going to cost me to go to school because I didn't have a dollar in my pocket to go to college. And they were offering to pay for all of it. But what I did know was God had done something in my heart and I couldn't preach anything less than what God had already done for me. I couldn't change what God had already done for me. If somebody had got to me in time, they could have told me, well, you don't need to be preaching all this stuff about miracles and all these things that God answers prayer today and God's still moving and living today and people are speaking in tongues. You don't have to be preaching all that. If somebody had got to me in time, they might have persuaded me. But by the time anybody got to me to make that argument, I already had the experience, I already had the reality, and I couldn't be talked out of it. And when you get the reality, friend, When God really moves into your life, you're full of the Holy Ghost. You're full of the reality of God's presence. Know the glory of God. Nobody's going to be able to talk you out of that nor change your course. You're going to know this is the reality, and I'm going to live in this reality the rest of my life. So I went off to college and didn't know how I was going to pay for it and struggled and Preached on weekends and scrubbed floors and did everything else I could <laughs> to pay for it. And, and, uh, and I've told you some things about things that I did in the summer uh, to, to try to earn enough to go back to school the next year. I won't go into all that again, but, but, I, but I, the, the point is, the point is that when you, are, when you know what you know that you know it, and you know that you know you know it's real and you know that you know that it's real. Somebody comes to you and says, well, well, this is for another day. It's changed. This was for back then in Bible days. Well, friends, we're still living in Bible days. And it's for today just like it was for then. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so when Peter went on to, when they, they had asked him by what power or by what name did you do this? When he went on to, to speak, he said, he said that, let me tell you, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man standing before you well. Not only that, they, they, there, is there any salvation? There's no salvation in any other name, he said. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the only name, the only name, the only name in which there's salvation. This is the name where there are miracles. This is the name where there are victories. This is the name by which we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit by praising that name. This is the name, the name of Jesus is the only name that settles the question, that settles the matter and makes it sure, certain and resolved this is all done in Jesus' name, and that's the name of victory. So seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they could say nothing against it. The reality, 
the reality of the testimony cannot be denied. This is not theory. This is not theory. You can know. I know there are people who, who want to, they, they struggle with wanting to know if they're saved. And listen, friend, I want to tell you, you can know that you're saved. You can know that you're saved. I talked to my brother a few days ago, and I told him that I, I'm making plans to come to North Carolina and join with him there for particular reasons. One of the things I said, on the, for that week that I'm going to be there, I want you to go and make contact with the people who now own the old church that we went to many years ago where I first started going to church. It's at 212 East Oak Street in Goldsboro, North Carolina. The building still stands there. And it's occupied and owned by another denomination. Don't even know what it is that owns it. I've not walked inside that church in many years. But one day, sometime in June, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to tell you that I went in and I walked into that building. I know this. I know this already ahead of time. I'm going to tell you I walked into that building. I'm going to find a way to get in. That's going to be my number one goal while I'm there is to get inside that building. Because I haven't been in it in many, many years. And I'm going to walk into that building. And I might see that it's changed. I might see there's a lot of things different about it. They might have moved some walls. Might have moved some doors. Might have moved the altar for all I know. I have no idea. But I do know this, when I walk in the front door, I walk down whatever aisle it is and whatever changes they made, and I'm going to walk back to a certain place and get right up to where the pews once sat, and they may still be there just like they were. But I'm going to walk past the little curve in the altar. There used to be a piano setting there, and you had to kind of squeeze to get by the big piano on the edge of the altar. It wasn't big roomy like this. You had to squeeze to get by it, kind of turn sideways to walk in it and get through it. But you had to do that because so many people came to the altar. There was not enough room at the little altar. It wasn't a big, expansive altar like ours. Probably the whole altar wasn't any bigger than this part here. And so you had to go into a prayer room. They had a prayer room. Not because they were ashamed of knowing that people prayed and sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You just had to have that for the room. So when I got up that Sunday night in August, and I started walking past that, I stepped on the people's toes and I walked past the edge of the piano and I, I came through the edge of it and circled and got around, walked through the door. I'm going to make that trip again. I'm going to make those steps again. I'm going to walk and whether they change the walls or the doors or whatever else, I'm going to find that spot and I will be able to find it. That spot right there, because the building is still there, basic part still, I'm going to be able to go and find that spot and I'm going to see a place where there was an old metal chair. I don't see a chair looks as bad as that one did around here as an example. I don't know. We probably got them somewhere. I'm going to, but there was an old metal chair sitting there, not, not, not cushioned, not fancy, just a plain old metal chair sitting there up against the wall. And in that spot, in that room of prayer, I fell down on my knees and I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. But I fell down on my knees, and God saved me. God saved me. And one thing I did know, when I got up, and now what I'm telling you is you can know if you're saved. That's what I'm trying to tell you today. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to change your experience in any way whatsoever. I don't want to put any doubts. If you, don't, if you already have any doubts, I want to settle those doubts. what I want to do. I can know this. When I fell on my knees, all I knew was I was desperate. But sometime later, quite a while later, when I got up off my knees, one thing I did know, I knew I was saved. 
I knew I could not have explained it if you had asked me for any explanation. I could not have explained justification. I couldn't have explained adoption. I couldn't have explained repentance. I couldn't have explained confession. I couldn't have explained forgiveness. I couldn't explain anything except one thing I did know when I got up off my knees. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. (laughs) And I knew he was living in me. And what I will tell you, my friends, is I'm preaching to you today about undeniable power. From that day to this moment as I stand before you, with all the failures that I've had and all the faults that I've seen in myself and all the weaknesses and all the things that I've allowed to come between me and God over the years, over all the years, and then I've I've seen it and turned it, with all of that has happened, one thing has never changed. The devil has never been able to make me believe for one single moment, not one single moment in all of my life has the devil been able ever been able to make me believe that I didn't get saved. And he's never made me believe I was not still saved. Because the reality is the undeniable power of God becomes a reality in your life. And friend, when it does, it's real. It's real. It's more real than anything else. It's more real than the wood of this pulpit. More real than the air that I breathe that takes oxygen through my body. More real than the skin on my flesh and the flesh on my bones. More real than the fingers on my hands. The power of God is undeniable. It's real. When it's real in your life, nothing can change that. And nothing can make you believe Jesus Christ is not real and real in your life. So a miracle settles the question. The healed man was a miracle. And when people looked at it, they couldn't say, this didn't happen. Because he's right there saying, oh, yes, it did. Oh, yes, it did. And I know somebody come to me and say, well, you know, you know, you're a lot more educated than this now, Pastor. You were pretty ignorant back then by your own admission, but you're a lot more educated. Now, how can you really know you're saved? Well, I just told you how. Because the undeniable power of God comes into your life. And once that happens, nobody can make you believe Jesus Christ has not done a work that's made you a different person. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So a miracle settles the question. The miracle of salvation. The miracle of healing. The miracle of victory. It settles the question, doesn't it, Cheryl? <laughs> One minute you can't talk, and the next reason you can't stop. I didn't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I meant that for victory. <laughs> you all, if you don't know about the miracle she had right over here, you need to hear about it. I have time to go into all of it today. But A miracle settles the question. Does God heal today? We've got testimony right here that he does. And we've got to start believing God for greater and greater things and greater miracles that God does. We've got to start believing God for that and expect God to do great things that are beyond our own ability, but only within the ability of God himself. I I heard a song, and I'd heard it before, but I I listened to it several times. And I tell you, I I jumped up, and I, I... I, I don't know if I was shouting or what I was doing. I just walked and praised God and give glory to God. And it's about a, it's, the song tells a story of a man who was in town one day on some business and he heard a commotion going on nearby. And he looked up and he saw a young man running his way. So he grabbed the young man and stopped him. And he said, what's going on here? And the young man said, I was trying to catch the crippled man 
did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And the mute man was telling myself and the deaf girl, (laughs) he's leaving to answer God's call. It's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me, ask the blind man. He saw it all. (laughs) Glory to God. Undeniable power. Undeniable power. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I think the last third of this sermon will fit very well in one of my messages over the next couple of Sundays, so I'm going to just hold that for then. Well, I may not hold all of it. Years ago, I was a pastor of a church where a great move of God took place. It was the result of fasting and praying. And the Spirit of God began to move in powerful ways. And service after service, the waves of the glory swept over. And people were weeping and crying and seeking God and shouting and getting healed and delivered and saved. And I had a young man who was playing the organ for me in those days. uh, His name was Bill also. And uh, his wife's name was Bonnie. They had come to our church not too long before this. And uh, over there on that Hammond organ, he was, a, he was a fine organist. And he was sitting on the bench of the organ. And you know with the organist, you, you, you play with your feet and with your hands playing the organ. And uh, so now all, everything's going on in this church at this time. You know the spirit of God's moving. People are, people are here laying on the floor. People are over here shouting. People are praying for people over here. And, and, and just... All over the place, things are happening. And they had been in a church of real fanaticism by their own testimony. I didn't know this till afterwards. They'd been in a church of real extremity, not scriptural. You know, it's one thing. We could all, we could all, I could have you all stand up today and we could all run around and make a circle around the pews and and all that. And we might feel exercised by it. But there's, there's no power in telling people to do those things. You do that when the Spirit of God moves. And moves you to do it. Well, they had been in a church of great excess, and they said it in the flesh. That's why they left and came to our church. And so here they are. Bill's up on the organ. He's looking around. Bonnie's sitting out there, and she later on said, I'm sitting there saying, we, got, we thought we got out of this kind of stuff, and here we are right in the middle of it again. And what are we going to do? And then she got to thinking, well, maybe this is real. That's what the Spirit of God does. He persuades you, you know. Helps you see it and persuades you. So she got to thinking, well, maybe this is real. And then she said, this is by her testimony. Now, she told us later. She said, I'm sitting there, and I said, well, if Bill, he's more skeptical than I am. If he believes this, I don't know it's real. But she said, nah, I just don't believe this. So she's sitting there kind of like this, you know. Spirit of God's moving all over. She's sitting there like this. I didn't notice it during the service. Too much going on. But then all of a sudden, God did something. I don't remember what it was. There was so much happening. I can't tell you exactly what it was, but God did something. Somebody started speaking in tongues for the first time. Or Bill sitting over there on the organ, and he sees something after he'd never seen before. And all of a sudden, he stands up. And you think about standing up now in a Hammond organ, big Leslie speakers, and your feet on the pedal, and you have to stand up, standing up on the pedals, and you And Bonnie said, I looked up and I saw him standing up there. And I said, 
I looked at him and I said, he knows it's real. He knows it's real. She said, that's when I jumped up and I ran to the altar and I fell down before God. And God did something in my life like he's never done before. And they praised God and worshiped God. They served God with us in that church until we left that pastor and went on to another calling. I could tell you their full name right now. You can see him in my mind so clearly. Because God, you see, God has a way of proving himself. <laughs> the truth of the matter is right now, it doesn't matter what you believe about it or don't believe about it. It's what's real that matters. And what's real is what God does and what God shows. And there's an undeniable power. You cannot deny what God does. Now, your background may be a totally different church. When I got saved, my background was no church, nothing. I was, a, I was a heathen in America. It's true, I've said that before, and it's true. I knew, I knew nothing about it. But God has a way of proving himself by his own undeniable power. And the power of God, as these men found out, is one thing that you cannot deny. You can question it, you can say you don't believe it, but when you see the reality of it, then you know that God is alive today, that his power is real in the world, and he's working in the lives of people who will let him work today. Hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah. So this name, this name, this name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, that name to which every knee will one day bow and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every Muslim tongue is going to confess Jesus is Lord. Every Muslim knee is going to bow and say, I thought it was Allah, but it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. <laughs> same thing for every Buddhist, same thing for every Confucianist, same thing for every... Well, you don't know much about the things I just said, so I won't talk about the other ones I started to say. Well, I will. Same thing for every Jehovah's Witness. Same thing for every atheist. Same thing for everybody at any level of unbelief. The same thing, every knee of every person. The Bible says of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Even those who've already gone to hell are one day going to bow the knee and confess with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. 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 Everybody stand with me, please. Everybody stand with me right now. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.